1: episode number 185 it's hard to believe we're at that big of a number 185 I'm Neil McCready JG Tate with me as well here on August the 1st as we uh, record this football season has essentially arrived I think uh, the team that I cover Ole Miss starts on Wednesday the team that Jay covers Auburn starts on Friday I think Jay is that right
2: that is correct sir
1: Auburn starts Friday. Everybody's starting points in between. Some schools already getting rolling. If you were a week zero team, you're already playing. If you're a week one team, this is the week that you get rolling. So welcome into football season. Glad we made it to another one. Uh, We'll be with you for a little while. We'll talk some football, talk some other topics as well, as we always do. Jay, how are you?
2: Uh, It's wonderful to be here with you again. uh, Sir Neil McCready from uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, A place that I have been for like two straight weeks now after no vacations since then. I haven't made any trips or anything like that. It's been like, uh, jeez, two months, two and a half months of just trips, trips, trips. Just trying to pack my whole life into two and a half months. You know what I mean? Yeah, you had a very busy
1: June. I had a busy July. And so here we are. I don't know about you. I kind of felt, I'm glad I did what I did because I feel a little bit more refreshed and like ready to go than I was by the time July one rolled around, because Ole Miss had a long baseball season, and we met, met more podcasts than all the stuff that we do. And man, I got to July and I was tired. I just I needed a, like a mental break, and so I took one. It was yeah. good. Three trips, which for me is a ton. I went to Houston, went to Las Vegas, went to uh, Florida, so to the beach. So I'm I'm like all charged up, ready to roll, batteries full.
2: That's what I like to hear, man. Uh, and it's that's an interesting way to say uh, Ole Miss won the national title in baseball. To say their their season went a little bit longer.
1: It it went really long. That's I, true. That's that story remains just one of the craziest ones. We literally woke up on Memorial Day morning, um, prepared to spend all day covering the firing of Mike Bianco, which was actually absolutely going to happen that day. And instead, they get the last spot in the NCAA tournament and then get hot, super hot, red hot, and, and blue hot, whatever hot you want to talk about, and roll through the tournament and, and win the whole thing. And, and um, yeah, I mean, go freaking figure. Out will You talk about stories, Jay, that, that you couldn't predict. That's, that's one. It's, it was like jet gate, but, but positive. Con- concentrated into like a, a, a three weeks instead of two years or whatever. It's crazy. I mean, they were firing him that day. They it's were not, firing him that afternoon if they don't get in the tournament. They get the last spot in the tournament. Well,
2: sometimes that happens. And Ole Miss yeah. baseball uh, showed that they were definitely worth it. Yeah,
1: definitely yeah.
2: worth inclusion,
1: that's for sure. for sure. For sure, because there was talk about whether they belonged, and I guess they answered that question.
2: So. You had any uh, good beverages lately? Anything new? Anything unusual?
1: Oh, let's see. It's Um, been a
2: summer of drinking.
1: It has. It has. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've been on a beer kick a little bit. Beer? What? I know. I know. I know. I know that would disappoint you. I almost almost hesitated to tell you. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to admit some of the the, the drinks that I've had over the course of the summer. Um, A lot of beer. A lot of, God, you're just going to take my man card and you are going to go rip it up. I mean, I can feel my man card leaving me as I'm about to tell you this. So the girls, meaning my daughters, Campbell and Caroline, one of whom drinks legally and the other who drinks illegally, um, are big into Aperol spritz. And I got really good at making Aperol spritz. And um, I ain't going to lie to you, I like a good Aperol spritz.
2: I thought a spritz was something you put in your hair.
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure there, there probably is something to, to, with that. But uh, as someone who doesn't have hair, I don't really know. Um, so the Aperol spritz is Prosecco, Aperol, little splash of soda, orange, orange slice, some ice cubes, and like a goblet. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. So good.
2: I'm not going to judge you, man. You know, I, I, I put that stuff in the past. Uh, you and uh, Gabriel got me thinking that I had been a little too harsh on that stuff and actually by the way Neil McCrady we had a drink off at our favorite watering hole on Saturday night Friday or Saturday night I can't remember which one and a, our two favorite uh well two of our three favorite bartenders there were, were working it was very slow and we said we're gonna do three rounds you make your best your best three drinks and we'll judge who is the better drinker maker of drinks okay so we had six drinks all of them in the vein of a Aperol Spritz, you know, whatever they were making. Uh-huh. So we judged a winner, but uh, I drank six mixed drinks, you know. Well, I mean, I participated in drinking six mixed drinks. Dude, I, I do not like it, man. I remember you guys who have listened to G-Pits for a while, you know I used to really rag on them for drinking that you stuff. You
1: really used to really, you, you would
2: light up for it. I still much prefer drinking bourbon straight. That's how I feel like it should be done. However, I mean, sometimes you're in situations where, there's some girl drinks can be made, and you can just go ahead and buy. Why not? I've had some. I mean, those all six of those I think were girl drinks. Plus uh, mimosas on Sunday. I mean,
1: oh, we, and I'll fight you on this mimosa thing. A mimosa is not a girl drink. A mimosa
2: is. Well, I'm just. It's not straight bourbon, you know.
1: It's, that's well, that is true. It's not straight bourbon or like straight mezcal or straight vodka or something. But but it's hard, and you can you can dress up a mimosa and make it. <laughs> less girly <laughs> well um, yeah you can you can make a mimosa pretty powerful i mean throw a shot of vodka in there with with oh, the, yeah uh,
2: you can do a little bit of that a little cathead vodka
1: yeah you can yeah a little cathead vodka <laughs> you can um you can float some grand marnier or Co- Cointreau on the top uh always, always for a floater
2: F- oh you love floaters huh okay
1: yeah, I, I do like a floater you probably saw some floaters when you were down in in at, at punta cana a couple times oh of course I mean, you know,
2: best drink I had this weekend was a mezcal mule, Uh mezcal. I guess you'd say mule. So that would be mezcal, uh, ginger beer, and la- I think he put some blueberry something or other in there. Although it was clear, but okay. it was blueberry tasting. It was delicious. Oh, how about that? Yeah, it was really good. So I I'm love sure. mezcal
1: uh, a lot.
2: So That's it's like- it's like kind of like an offshoot of tequila, is what it is basically. Is that right? Yeah. It's? it's kind of a, it's just a smoky smoky tequila. Uh huh. Which comes in really nicely in certain drinks, yeah. Oh, yeah, certainly. That's great. So, anyway, there you go. I have been drinking Suburban. We were going to break open our CYPB Weller last night, but for reasons that I don't remember, we didn't. Uh, (laughs) I did open my uh, Blade & Bow 22 a couple weeks ago, so that's 22-year-old Blade & Bow uh, from Shively, Kentucky. That was very good. I've Um, got a bottle
1: of Blade & Bow that I just haven't opened yet, but – well, I don't oh, mean to be,
2: it. I'm not trying to talk down to you, but that's four year blade and bow. Yeah, this was, yeah, this was not 22
1: year. There's no question. No, I, mean, I would not take that as an insult. I, I, I know that's true.
2: But that's a, uh, we now claim that as being part of Courtney's family because she is a, her grandma was a Stitzel. Oh yeah. She was part of that Stitzel group. Uh, that's her great uncle was the last one to actually run Stitzel Weller before it went belly up in 92. So uh, cause bourbon was really out of fashion at that time. Um, you know, in the late '80s and early '90s, everybody was going to like vodkas and stuff like that. So,
1: it's really remarkable the Renaissance that bourbon has had. I, mean, I know. All,
2: my question to you is: it, Do you think it stays? Like twenty years from now, do you think we're still in this bourbon craze? I mean, I kind of do. I, 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 so, I kind of do too. It's
1: so hot right now. I mean, the the prices that people pay for rare bottles and stuff, and like I was, um, maybe it was in Vegas. And I was there was this bar there that was it was like had all sorts of bourbons and, and stuff. The place was freaking packed, man. I mean, people spending stupid money for Yeah. Stupid. You know, stupid. For for bourbons. It's crazy. I mean, the thing
2: and- about bourbon though is, Neil, is the, the the major companies out there in Kentucky, uh I'm I'm thinking of Buffalo Trace in particular. Every single year, they're adding another warehouse or another two warehouses. They build them as fast as they can get them up and fill them up. So that means that they their output, their annual yield, is continuing to rise every year. And at some mm-hmm. point, there's going to be so much bourbon. Actually, the Old Forster told us uh, in May that there's so many, there's so much bourbon out there now that every single uh, resident of the state of Kentucky now has t- could have two barrels, and that's how much bourbon there is in the state. Two barrels per person. I don't know how many bottles are in a barrel. I would estimate probably 50, something like that, or maybe more. I don't know. So it would be 100 bottles per citizen of the state of Kentucky. So as this yield continues to rise, I mean, there's going to be more and more and more. So I think at some point it will probably tail off. I've seen a little bit – I think some of the prices have slipped just a little bit on some of the crazy stuff. Now, if you're looking for, like, you know, older Winkle, the older stuff, that's still really tough to come by, but – Things like Green Weller or Weller uh, Antique, like the Red Weller, those have come down on secondary a little bit. So I think there's a little bit more out there.
1: I think what I mean is is when, when you ask like twenty years, I, th- I think what, what goes through my mind is is do I think there's still going to be this growing community of people who enjoy bourbons, who consider them, or who are trying to sort of become connoisseurs or expert in quotes and i think the answer to that is yes i think i think the hobby of bourbon if maybe that's the right word i'm looking for i don't think that's going to die off at all i think i don't know i don't i don't get that sense
2: well i'd love to see it stay because i know a lot about it (laughs) and i like to drink it so there you go yeah you're
1: you're you're an expert on it um i don't think so man i'm not like i i think you could you could put it in front of me and, and not tell me what it was and i don't I think I'd be able to tell you like quality versus other quality, but I don't know that I could name bourbons the way that you probably could.
2: Some, yeah, some. I wish I could do it full time. <laughs> <laughs> Tough to find that job, particularly when you're not a now, chemist.
1: Are you still, still going to do your, uh, your post-game show where you start you start in on the bourbon? And, Hell, yeah. And why would bourbon? I not do that? I just didn't know.
2: It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we're going to do that. I have more writers now than I did last year, so why not? I've been doing a lot more recruiting this summer. Um, yeah, one of my recruiting guys left to go to some other organization and I've been trying to <clears throat> get a little more plugged in on how things work in the recruiting world. Cause I don't really pay that much attention to that. I've always kind of worked on the team side. And so I've been doing more recruiting and it's, it's been interesting.
1: Well, so, that's, that's, that's not the word I would use, but that, that, that isn't, it is an accurate um, adjective. I've, I've covered a lot of recruiting too. It's, it's interesting to me. I'm curious whether you see this as well. The kids just don't want to talk to you. Is it harder? It's hard to get kids on the phone.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. You um, got to go where they are.
1: You got to go where they are. And then if they, if they have a way to avoid you, not all the time, but oftentimes they do, especially if it's a kid who's close to doing something because I think they want that whole social media surprise element and stuff. And then after they put it out on social media, a lot of times they still don't want to talk.
2: Well, I don't think that's because of me and you and the business. I think that's just kids. I do too. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, But I've also found, you might know this too, that like 15 years ago, AAU was the way you got things done in basketball. And although they don't have AAU in football, like trainers have become a really important part of what's going on, I think, in football recruiting now. So – in my case, uh, in my town, Montgomery, we have uh, madhouse training here in town. And if I mean, there's a lot of the kids that are in town, the big time kids, all of them train over there. So if you roll over there, I'm pretty apt to find somebody. You know what I mean? They probably have places like that in Memphis and, and yeah. Birmingham and Atlanta, various ones in Atlanta. So it's it's more about trainers now, I think. And if you get in with the trainers and that's not that makes it
1: a little easier. Yeah, and you do a lot more basketball recruiting than than I do. Well, at this
2: stage, yeah. Ole Miss Miss should be good. That's my opinion. I'm not saying they're going to be. I'm saying Ole Miss, as a program, should be good at basketball. It's just my opinion.
1: Well, they're pretty good at most everything else. And so it stands to reason that they should be pretty good in men's basketball, too. And and they've just not been consistently good here for a little while. And and this is a a big year for them um, in terms of what happens moving forward. Yeah, I know you know it's it is just it's a it's one of those hot seat years that you you know it you know it going in it's kind of probably where you are with Auburn football a little bit you 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 know it's this is going to be a litmus test year where there's going to be termination that is made and there's there's no question about that I don't think I don't think Mike Bianco did anything to turn the heat down on Kermit Davis I'm not sure that the two things are directly related necessarily but when you Go 10-2 and, and go to the Sugar Bowl in football and win the national championship in baseball and the basketball team goes 4-15 and 15 in the league. It's pretty obvious where you have a problem.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, okay, so media days, you and I were not as uh, embedded or ensconced in that as we typically are, but uh, because things have just changed, I think the way we cover things has changed a little bit. Anyway, uh, coming out of there, the media voted. Some people would say who cares what the media thinks, but since Neil and I are part of the media, we kind of care. Uh, on the uh, judged, predicted uh, order finish in the SEC West. And that was Alabama, A&M, Arkansas, Ole Miss, LSU, Mississippi State, and then Auburn in the uh, in the caboose. Thoughts on that, Neil McCready? All
1: right. I mean, obviously Alabama's the pick to win. Um, and I, I had A&M second. I had Ole Miss in front of Arkansas, 3-4. And then I guess I had LSU five. I had – Auburn 6th and State 7th and, and I'll be, I'm going to tell you why, it's not the whole state thing, and I actually think Mississippi State's got a chance to be pretty good but I just have a really hard time Jay, with this narrative that Auburn's going to be awful and you ask why Well, because when I covered them there were a couple of years when I remember people said oh this is going to be a really bad Auburn team and it wasn't and I've seen this happen before, people say this about Auburn Auburn's going to be bad and then Auburn's not bad And there's just a a couple of games that stick out from last season in my mind. One is the one that Ole Miss played against them, where Auburn kind of dominated that game. And then the other one's the Iron Bowl, where I know Tank Bigsby is probably tired of hearing this, so Tank, if you're listening, I'm sorry to bring up another sore subject. If he doesn't go out of bounds, they win that game. Auburn kind of dominated that game, and that was with A.J. Finley and playing quarterback, and frankly, a hurt A.J. Finley made in that. T.J., I'm sorry. A.J. Finley Finley plays for Ole Miss. I apologize. Um, Yeah, T.J. Finley. I mean, I don't think anybody is ever going to confuse T.J. Finley for Tom Brady or, you know.
2: Yeah, but he was doing work. I agree with you.
1: Yeah, they were getting it done. And Auburn has talent. Are they as talented as they have been in the glory years? No, probably not. But it's still a really talented roster. It's a really proud program. It's just difficult for me to do this with Auburn. And yet, I look at the rest of the West, and I'm like, who would you pick, Alabama or Auburn? I'd pick Alabama. Who would you pick, A&M or Auburn? I'd pick A&M. You know, I mean, I I get it, but it just felt low. And then I don't really know what I think about LSU. I've had some people trying to talk me into LSU's going to be really, really good. and Yet, I think that has a roster that has some deficiencies on it. They have question marks at quarterback. Um. And I'm like you here, and I know you feel this way. We're we're doing this A&M thing based on the most recent recruiting ranking, I think. As which much is a as, mistake. That's which a is a mistake. Yeah, I, and and look, you know, I look at a and schedule, and every time I go, you know, the WL, WW, whatever, I get them to eight and four. That's where I get them almost every single time. Like, everybody's just giving A&M the – the Ole Miss game. They just give A&M the LSU game. They just give L, you know, A&M the Arkansas game, for example. All of those games, people just go, oh, yeah, it's a win for Texas A&M. And you're like, why? Because they have a really bunch of good freshmen that just came in?
2: Yeah, it doesn't do much for me.
1: I, I, I struggle with that. So um, I think people are... A little bullish on Ole Miss. People are, are crowning Jackson Dart, this great quarterback that's going to guide them to a 10 or 11 win season. And I, after watching the spring, I'm not ready to go there yet. I think people are a little down on Arkansas, perhaps. I think Arkansas has got a shot to be pretty good. I mean, there's not a bad team in the division. There's one team that's at the very top. But I, I just don't know that if you say, who's the worst team in the SEC West, I, I don't. I'm not as I'm not as eager to go. Oh, that's Auburn as everybody else
2: is. Hey, what? And Thinny Vinny still a quarterback in at Ole Miss, like the little, the thin kid from Starkville. Uh, Luke Altmaier. Yeah, I call him Thinny Vinny because he looks pretty. Th- he looks pretty slight, you know. Uh, if he yeah. misses the team playing, you can just fax him. I mean, you can save money doing that.
1: He's not that thin, but yeah, he's 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 a he's a he's. You know, people do the thing with him in the. the they judge the Sugar Bowl. Ole Miss wasn't doing anything offensively with Corral on the field early in that game before Matt got hurt, and and then Baylor was really good at the, last season, and they that was a it was a really good defense. So yeah, you know Baylor went what twelve and two
2: last year. Yeah, Dave Aranda's a brilliant defensive mind, a brilliant defensive coach. So yes.
1: you know I don't know that I don't know that it's completely fair to judge not you not you not that you're doing it, but people have done it. I don't know that it's completely fair to make a judgment on, on Luke Altmaier as, oh, look, he came in in the second quarter of the Sugar Bowl, in a game that he didn't anticipate playing in, and he's played against Baylor, and he, they, he didn't like the world on fire. He must suck. I mean, that's, that is a, a line of reasoning that's fairly flawed, it's much the same way that A&M's going to be this superpower just because they have one great recruiting class that's come in.
2: Yeah, and don't forget who the head coach is. The guy's a klutz. The guy loses his mind, and he's a turd. And I don't trust him to win big games. Period. But I don't disagree with this uh, order of finish, though. Uh, I, Where would you put Auburn? Uh, either sixth or seventh, I think. And they, it may come down to that uh, Auburn game at Mississippi State this year is what I think. I mean, I think LSU has more talent than Auburn and Mississippi State do. I, I don't know enough about Ole Miss right now. I mean, I, I was just such a big believer in Matt Corral, you know, because mm-hmm. he made magic happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I don't know if finney Vinnie or Jackson Dart are going to be that guy. Maybe, they, maybe they are. I don't know. Um, I'm with you.
1: I mean, a, a jury, in my mind, the jury's out on that. I'm not. I'm not prepared to go. Oh yeah, Ole Miss isn't going to fall off at quarterback. I think Ole Miss is going to fall off at quarterback. And well, that hurts him. It does, of course. I mean, Matt, you go back and look at last season, and there's a couple of games the Arkansas game, and then the next week at Tennessee, where Matt Corral was just fantastic. And and if he's not, if he's just good, frankly, Jay, if he's just really good. They lose both of those games, and instead he was great. I mean, against Arkansas he was just perfect, and then against Tennessee it was one of the most valiant individual performances. Yeah, of it. That, that, he was he was great.
2: It's tough to beat that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you know, without that, they're they're an eight and four team, and I've got them going eight and four. I'm picking old Miss to go eight and four, right. and, and and which is a good team. I just I don't think they're going to be as special as they were at quarterback. But
2: baked into that prognostication is the fact that you think their defense will be okay because, what, two years ago they were a stinky pile of dog shit. Last year they were solid. They were pretty good towards the end. And this, I guess you're projecting them to be at least solid this year, right?
1: Yeah, I think, I think they'll be solid. They're going to be good. New coordinator, though, right? Yeah, what, but he's been there. He's been, been in the building. The three, oh, okay. So okay. I think that helps. Um, yeah, new coordinator, but I think they're going to be much better up front, even without Sam Williams. Uh, linebacker's a question mark, and I think they're going to be really good in the secondary.
2: Sam Williams, Montgomery, Alabama.
1: Yeah, Sam's,
2: yes,
1: Sam's going to be – I think Sam's going to have a big NFL career. I love yeah.
2: Sam Williams. Uh, most pressure in the SEC, I think, is on Jimbo, though. I Just all the hype, yep. man. He wants to talk that shit in May and call a press conference. He wants to get the number one recruiting class and defend the fact that they spent a bunch of money on it, depending on how you look at it. He kind of did it re- in reverse, but nonetheless, there's so much hype and pressure on him, way, way more than uh, than Kirby. Well, Kirby's got it all off of him now. And same for Sabin, So it's all on Jimbo Fisher. And I love it because he's going to crack. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for
0: a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you.
1: Jimbo and Harson are the two coaches in the West that have the pressure on them. I guess Leach to some extent, but it's Jimbo and, and Brian Harson are the two. That,
2: yeah, for two different reasons, right?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Jimbo, look, they're paying Jimbo to win big. And he hadn't done it. They're not paying him to go 8-4. and four. They're paying him to go 11-1, and 12-0. I mean, not to beat Alabama. And, they, they beat Alabama and Auburn last year. But they lost to Arkansas and Mississippi State and Ole Miss and LSU. They're not paying him for that. They're not paying him for that inconsistency. They're not, they're not paying him for a roller coaster ride. They're paying him for a tour de force. All, a, absolutely, a chauffeur chauffeur jet ride. That's you. where you're up at forty thousand feet and you're just cruising. That's what they're paying for. He, they're not going to get that. I don't think they are. They're either, never going to
2: get it from him. Never. I have,
1: I have people that I know who say, "Hey, they're 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 going to if they keep recruiting like this, they're going to be so talented that they're going to do it by default." But I'm with you. I don't buy it.
2: No. People like to put that on Saban and say, well, he just gets so many players. But they, they develop kids there. You see it in the NFL. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: That's- you
2: could fill up A&M, fill that bag up all day long. And I still think they're going to choke. I really, really do. They're just like Kansas basketball until you know this, well, this past year, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, if he keeps recruiting like this, eventually he'll put something together. But I would not bank on it happening very often. And plus, I cheer against that guy every chance I get. He's such a goober,
1: man. Yeah, and I mean, I'm 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 the same way about like Self, for example. But like Bill Self's a better basketball coach than Jimbo is I think
2: so. Yeah, I think so too. And they both have a bunch of you know some shadiness that kind of follows them around. Sure. Kept hearing about Kansas is going to get in trouble, and they really haven't gotten in trouble yet. I say yet because you know how it goes. And say so just takes its sweet old time on some of that stuff. But nonetheless, uh, something I found interesting, you know more about this stuff than I do because I kind of follow it peripherally, but the push for a bigger playoff field. Yeah. This is something that we talked about a year ago on the show, and it seemed like at that time Sankey wanted to kind of expand a little bit or was okay with it anyway, and everybody was like, got pearl clutching and saying you can't do that, you can't do that, and here we are a year later, and it seems like everybody but Sankey is trying to expand. Tell me about what what brought that flip upon him.
1: Well, I mean, look, the the Big 12 needs to go along with it, and they know it, so they will. And the ACC now looks at it and goes, holy shit, we're about to die. I mean, we are – we are in trouble. Um, let's do this because it allows us a seat at the table. And without that seat at the table, we're going to get plucked apart because the big 10 is going to add Notre Dame or, you know, whoever, you know, you, you get a 20 team super league in the big 10 and then the SEC, if it wants to expand, it, it probably could, whether it wants to or not, I don't know. Um, and then I, I, it's kind of what I thought was interesting about Media Days was Greg Sankey's speech, to me, was pretty fascinating because I think he's sort of the most subtle gangster ever. <laughs> and
2: <laughs> He learned from the best, man.
1: He did, he did, he, yeah, well, in so many ways. He he basically said, look, I offered you guys a an opportunity a year ago. Told you we'd do it. You didn't do it. I told you I'm fine with that, too, because... We just keep winning this damn thing, whether it's LSU or Alabama or Georgia or whatever. We just win it. So, whatever. Do what you want to do. But the interesting one is the Big Ten now. They've added USC and UCLA, and they can, it looks like they're going to probably add Notre Dame. The Big Ten's like, so look, here's the thing. We're not going to do this expanded playoff without having two media partners we're going to keep Fox in this thing covering some playoffs because we don't want ESPN to have an undue amount of influence on the playoff. And they're the only entity that can do it. And I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty obvious where we're headed. We're headed for the two super leagues, probably a third league somewhere. We're headed for an expanded playoff and there'll probably be an olive branch thrown to the what will be, I guess what will be the big 12 and, I don't know what happens to the rest of the Pac-10. I mean, the Pac-12 with USC and UCLA sucked. And now it's the Pac-10 without USC, without UCLA. I, I don't know where their seat at the table is anymore.
2: And ACC's not looking great either, right?
1: No, it's a dead league, man. I mean, look at that league. Compare it to what you're going to have in the, in the Big Ten with USC in the mix. Compare it to what you're going to have in the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma in the mix. And tell me why any TV provider is super interested in, hey, we can show Pitt, Georgia Tech, or we can show Auburn, Oklahoma, 21-2. Yeah. Hey, we can show USC, Wisconsin, or we can show Boston College versus Duke. Wake. <laughs> Wonderful. I <laughs> mean, there's just, in the SEC, I mean, from a viewing standpoint, how many dogs in that 16-team league, how many just dogs do you have? Just one, Vanderbilt. That's it.
2: Oh, you mean bad ones, yeah.
1: Yeah, everybody else everybody else is some degree of attractive
2: yeah at least once per decade has some kind of a team that's a real problem yeah i mean you know like
1: even south carolina for example i mean you you know you go show a game at williams bryce and the place is jumping and they get rolling on somebody and it's a fun place to go to watch a game and you've got all the traditions of you know georgia and auburn florida and tennessee and lsu and I, I could go on and on and on and then you know you get some of the unlike in the the ACC I mean some of the teams that are typically middle of the pack are kind of sexy sometimes like Ole Miss is pretty sexy right now and uh you know uh Kentucky's really good right
2: yeah, now. yeah absolutely
1: great Arkansas real solid right now I mean they're, they're, those all of those programs and when they're solid commonwealth stadium is packed and let me look at the the scene from from uh, oxford last year in november when texas a&m came to town i mean the the grove was just amazing for like game day and stuff and you know how it is at auburn and alabama and those places when and they're when they're good it's elite those are elite atmospheres the acc doesn't have that and so i that's the thing about the acc splitting up is i don't know where they go i mean if you're the SEC, how many schools in the if if you're ESPN, how many schools in the ACC are worth a hundred million dollar piece of pie every
2: year? Yeah, who? Uh, maybe Florida State, maybe Miami, maybe Clemson. I mean, the
1: school the school that the SEC has always reportedly been interested in, and I've heard this from enough people to believe it to be true, is the the SEC is pretty infatuated with North Carolina. Oh, okay, you know,
2: you get the basketball I, side, right? It, it, it certainly would. Well, they're, they're great in everything but football, honestly. I mean, going down to field hockey and basketball, and all, I mean.
1: And they're pretty good in football. They would certainly enhance the basketball pro, uh, product. There's no question. I mean, you know, a, a North Carolina-Kentucky SEC game would get – that'd be pretty sexy. Yeah, would ad- pretty sexy. You'd add North Carolina to the conference tournament, and that would certainly enhance it. There's no way around that. But is it worth a $100 million piece of pie every year? Because that's what it
2: would be. So you're thinking the SEC's going to hold at 14 or 16, then?
1: For the first time in a little while, yeah. I kind of think they're going to play a couple of seasons there and see what happens. Now The only thing is is if, if the Big Ten adds Notre Dame, and let's say the Big Ten adds Notre Dame, the Big Ten goes and adds Oregon and gets to 18, does the SEC feel like it has to match that?
2: I think they would.
1: And I think they probably would go, hey, we probably need to match that, even though they would say well, this is not reactionary.
2: Do you think he's got uh, provisional deals in place? Like, does he know he can go to North Carolina and maybe Miami or whatever and say, hey, let's go?
1: I would suspect that anyone inside that building would tell you no.
2: Yeah. But no, you referred to him as the gangster earlier, which I agree with.
1: I don't believe that Greg Sankey is ever going to be caught flat footed. I I just don't. I I agree. The move to add Texas and Oklahoma as stealthily as the SEC did it, (laughs) I mean, that was come on dude that 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 is a sexy story that was unfolding over the course of months under people's noses and nobody knew about it
2: yeah it's pretty sweet pretty gangster mike sly would be uh giving him a high five on that one there's no question uh let's see that's probably enough for college football right now although you know it's it's picking up here we're going to be in practice for the next month or so yeah did have a column uh on AuburnSports.com the other day kind of outlining what's going on at Auburn right now that you still, and we mentioned it here earlier, that it's just kind of decaying in a way that... Yeah, I kind of like the team, and I think Harson's a good football coach, but the organization behind him, you guys know about the attempted coup uh, there in February and the investigation into him, and ultimately it it yielded nothing, and just a lot of hand-wringing and pearl-clutching, and uh, people pissed off. Parsons pissed off. He was pretty chin forward at sec media day about it when he was like they tried to get me out and they lost which in a way is a really ballsy thing to say and i think i would have done that myself but it also kind of emboldens the people that hate him yeah you know and so i think the divisions are still there and those those cracks are still there tell me about the
1: column i haven't had a chance to read it yet so what 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 it's, was the- it's
2: all the shit that you know as someone who is been involved with Auburn before about how Auburn's biggest rival is itself and how it continues to trip over itself and it can't get organized behind the scenes and that really Nil is an opportunity for Auburn to finally get itself straight and 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 kind of instead of just bumbling all over itself get these blocks of, of supporters together you know the ones I'm talking about and at least get to a point point where it's like okay let's just keep the lines of communication open let's don't play this game where we know better and y'all can kiss my ass. Like, let's just communicate and, and you know, like when it's time to find another football coach, whenever that is, let them have a say and just kind of have somebody who can get in between all these groups and just kind of broker uh, understandings.
1: So the Fisher between not the Jimbo Fisher, but the F I S S U R E Fisher Fisher. Yes. Between the Auburn family, if you will. And, and Brian Harson, is it is it reparable? Can it be can it be put back together? Can it glue it together, or is it is it so fractious that the pieces are so broken that there's just no way?
2: I think there's no way, but it, it's kind of a different one in, in the other ones I've seen because I don't necessarily think it's because of it's not because of Harson. It's not like Harson has declared war on anybody. It's not that Harson has treated anybody poorly. It's just like they didn't want him. And he represented kind of uh, the, the AD going rogue, which sounds weird to say that the AD could go rogue, you know, because you think he's part of the organization. But he, he chose somebody, went off script and chose somebody that nobody else wanted. And so everybody, he's, Harson walks in, he's immediately unpopular. And he's kind of a polarizing dude because he doesn't like to glad hand. He doesn't like to politic. And, you know, he's, he's from, he's from Boise. He's, he's a straight-up Boise dude, and I think he's a really good coach, and I think these kids, this team, is fired up about playing for him, honestly. I mean, he's not he's the yep. opposite of Gus Malzahn. I like Gus a lot, but Gus is kind of a nerd, okay? Uh, Harson's like a pirate. I mean, he's a take-charge alpha male, and I like him. I just don't think that the people that pay a lot of the money like him. So how many games does he have
1: to win to make this story go away?
2: to go away man at least 8 probably more i think it's 7 they probably try to run him honestly at 6 i think it's a foregone conclusion is what i think and i mean he just have to take his money and bounce i mean and i think he'll be okay with that he'll go get another job and he'll be fine but it's just a weird situation and I, I just don't i still to this day he's been here a year and a half i still don't know that he totally understands how to get it done here i again i think he's a hell of a football coach neil I just don't know that he's a hell of a CEO of an SEC program, that's all.
1: If that job becomes open, is that job a job given how it would come open, right? With a second year coach getting run because he just didn't it didn't wasn't ever really accepted. Is that job one that is a coveted top ten to fifteen job like it's always been, or does that job become a really good negotiating ploy for other coaches to get a better deal. Yeah, with.
2: I've seen a lot of that happen in the, through the years. I think it depends on the person. If it's the, the person who could do the best job with that, with this gig already knows that he's the right guy for this gig, if that makes sense. like You have to kind of know what Auburn is, and you need to know some of these dudes before you walk on campus. And there's guys out there who have, who know these guys. And again, I think this is where they've just got to put their foot down and say we're not going to continue doing things the way we've done it before. We have to change because the plan that, that Auburn's been following, the script they've been following, is not working. It's not working on a long-term basis, and so they've got to just find a way to bring some of these blocks together, get on the same freaking page. And I, I see things happening behind the scenes right now that make me think that is possible and that is happening. And that's just kind of what I was writing about, really.
1: You just don't think it happens with Brian Harson.
2: No, I don't think it happens with Brian Harson. I think it, ha- it can happen with the next coach. Gotcha. Uh huh. Auburn NIL has been a absolute disaster um so far but a new group just bought it and took it over and they're kind of getting things reassessed and set back up and i think it's fixable but it's just been really disorganized which is the auburn way <laughs> it is it's the auburn way there's a lot of passion and a lot of love and a lot of smart people over here yeah just tend to get crossways of each other and it slows everything down
1: well I and mean, they're just in this environment right now where they're two big rivals or steamrolling i mean i, I know I mean, Alabama's the preeminent program in the country. I, I know people don't like hearing that. It doesn't make it not true. And then Georgia just won a national championship and is certainly in the mix to win another one. And, and and Kirby Smart has kind of built Alabama West, I mean, Alabama East and Athens a little bit. And the programs are very similar. And they're just these machines that spit out NFL players and, and, and spit in top three recruiting classes. And Auburn's kind of in the middle of that. And it's it's resulted in
2: this. I had something interesting happen the other day. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a retired coach, uh, coached a long, long time, um, and he said, I don't think Kirby is going to be able to do what Alabama has done because the Georgia people do not have the balls to do the things that Alabama people do. What I mean by that is, the things that like the Red Elephant Club and, and and whatever else, whatever the whole machine, right? And I don't mean a capital M machine. I just mean like the whole, everything that's associated with Alabama football, really outside of the program, they're willing to go deeper than I think Georgia people are willing to do it. They're willing to push more boundaries. They're willing to just go further with things. Than Georgia people are. I, I don't. I, Georgia has a certain thing about them where they have like this dignified way of doing their own shit. Does that make sense? And I, I say that as a compliment. Yeah, there's a it, dignity that goes so along with being a Georgia fan that I don't necessarily think is there for an Alabama fan for the most part.
1: You you could be right. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm interested to see what Georgia now that they've got the they got it. They won the title. Yeah, like the the big exhale, like whew, that's over. Yes. No one, we don't have that thrown at us anymore because once you get the title, you get you get to put the big banner up and go, no, no, shut up. We see so he's right there, yeah. right there. That's the, that's us. I agree, hundred percent. And so they've got that, and so I am really interested to see what they do now. Do they go, okay, that was cool. We get to go back to being a fun place to come to a game, and we're going to be really good. But yeah, I know I know what you mean. Or do they go? Hey, that was awesome. Let's get six more of them. And I, I don't, I don't know.
2: I don't think they're willing to do what it takes. I think they like eating the sausage, but I don't think they want to go hunt it, hunt down the animal, and kill the animal, and cut up the animal. They just want to dine.
1: Well, that's why I'm curious with Auburn. If this thing with Harson doesn't work, is you know, I've had people, and, and what I'm about to say, I mean as a compliment, okay? Because I, I I covered Auburn for six years. It was my first big job, and it was a lot of, it was like fascinating to me to, to see it from the inside. I mean, I would have never thought, um, but like when I think of the Auburn brand, I think the whole Auburn family and, and, um, this, this place that is, uh, it's like the people that, that go there, it's very special to them. It's, um, uh, you know, the, the war Eagle and the, and, and the, they it's it's a cool brand and yet i wonder in today's world um like even alabama if you think about it the alabama brand went from being for the longest time bear bryant it was, it was it's now sabin in the process right it's not it's not about bear bryant tradition anymore i'm i'm i wonder whether auburn's willing to move off of its traditional branding and go with a more I don't even know that "modern" is the right word, Jay. I'm, I'm but a more. No, uh, I know
2: what you mean. I, I know where you're going with this.
1: Trying to think of the right word, and I'm not as smart as you are. Um, it, it a, a more. Youth-friendly brand that's a little more. Out of the box that that's appealing, sexy. As opposed to a traditional brand, which—and I don't mean that as an insult—because the Auburn traditional brand is is awesome. Like everybody knows it. Like uh, you know, you see a game at Jordan Hare, you're like that's Auburn. You know it, and all that stuff. And yet, I don't know that. I don't know if that's the path with the next guy, unless you go with a, an older coach who comes in. I mean, if you go get one of these young guys, are they going gonna—I I, don't—I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm, if if Harson doesn't make it work, and if it happens this year, I will be fascinated to see what Auburn does. All right. And, and if too. they're able to do it, because I, you know, like here at Ole Miss, I say here, I mean, I'm in Oxford, I cover Ole Miss, they have allowed Lane Kiffin to become the brand. He well, is the brand. Well, no, actually, his dog is the brand. Right. Well, right now, Juice Kiffin Juice is the brand. Juice Kiffin but, is the brand. Yeah, but, but the brand is Kiffin.
2: What was it called? Juice World? What was the name of their, their Juice thing? Fest. Juice, Juice Fest.
1: Juice Fest, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, and I wonder whether at a place like
1: Auburn they would allow or would accept or be cool with something like that. Well, is I, Ole Miss cool with it? Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, Ole Miss fans will get pissed at what I'm about to say, but it's true. Ole Miss doesn't have the baked-in football tradition that Auburn has. Oh, I mean, yeah. They just don't. I mean, Ole Miss was, was great in the 60s, and they've had some moments, and they had the Eli Manning run, and Hugh Freeze had a couple of years, but they've never had the long, consistent stretch of, um, you know, Excellence that Auburn has had, and I know Auburn's had some blips in that, but Auburn's sure. a pretty good program for a long time. And and there's there's a brand that gets baked into that, and and so I, I do think it's different.
2: Uh, one thing that's definitely different when I drink it is anything from Cathead. Cathead Distillery are makers of fine spirits and other delicious refreshments that can be found throughout the southeast and beyond. Uh, their hottest product right now is the Cathead Sparkling, which I know you have seen at the swimming pools. Shindigs and get togethers at my locale and yours as well. It's a sparkling vodka cocktail in a colorful, classy aluminum vessel. 5% ABV, 100 calories each. And as always, they're gluten free, sugar free, and vegan. Catted Sparkling comes in eight packs with four different flavors, including the Limeade, the Strawberry Lemonade, Mandarin Satsuma, and the Cranberry. I have been drinking more of these lately because we've been doing some pool drinking, Neil McCready, yes, uh, here in uh, Hampstead, Alabama. And uh, the Limeade is is the one that i am personally kind of leaning toward. Agreed. And uh, wifey likes the strawberry lemonade. Uh, those things go down shockingly easy in the pool, I'll tell you that. Uh, they're good. That's great good summer drink. Although i'm sure they're going to go great year round. You can find those in grocery stores, convenience stores and liquor outlets near you. Cathead, of course broke into this space with their head with their various vodkas including now the Cathead Bitter Orange which is a perfect complement to their ubiquitous Cathead Honeysuckle that everybody's been drinking. You may also see their straight vodka with the blue label in the wild as well as the pecan uh, pecan flavor with the green label. We have them all at the Tate household, of course. They're all delicious, and they all have a role in making a great cocktail. Cathead's bourbons are excellent as well. You know about the 90 Proof Old Soul, which everybody's got, uh, but their single barrel Old Soul at 109 Proof is a terrific standalone pour, one of my ten favorites uh, you may, may also be able to find the 10 type series from time to time, which is a seven year 119 proof bourbon has so dark and so rich. Uh, lots and lots of taste. in that bad boy uh, I was in Kentucky back in May and I picked up a 13 year old soul which has like a gray label on it. Those, those are, if you ever see those, please pick them up. I'm doing just do yourself a favor and do that. Look, you need cathead in your life. Seek out their cathead sparkly or any of their fine spirits. Next time you're out. If your favorite bar or restaurant doesn't carry Cathead, make a request. Ask them to carry Cathead. Life is better with Cathead in it. So do what you got to do and get that Cathead.
1: We're also brought to you by Pinnacle. They're based in Madison, Mississippi. they got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. They provide detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and so much more. What they do is they sit down with you and they find out, hey, what is it that you're looking to do with your retirement um, however many years out you are different people have different plans and aspirations and such and then they build a, a uh, comprehensive detailed financial retirement plan that's built just for you it's mypinwealth.com m-y-p-i-n-n wealth.com got a note from uh our buddy john edwards uh just the other day john had just uh, gone to england yes he had he went to St. Andrews to watch the 150th Open Championship, he played four <laughs> courses, um, three that were in the Open rotation, the Royal Liverpool, the Royal, I think, uh, Berksdale. is that how you say that? And the Royal Troon, I'm not a golf guy. But, <laughs> Sounds um, great. He played the Elsa at Turnberry, which I'm sure is awesome, I have no idea. Um, watched the Open. They went to Paris for four days. Uh, went to Normandy, which is something I've always thought would be really yeah to do. Went to Normandy. Um, did some uh, Champagne vineyard tours, which I would like to do. I'm I'm bigger on Champagne than Jay is, but oh, but Jay's coming around. Jay's coming around. Uh, so all of that. If you want to do trips along those lines, get in touch with John. He knows everything. You think about booking a trip that is going to be special that going to create a lifetime of unique memories. Get in touch with our buddy John. He'll help you a lot. He uh, Just give him some parameters, give him a budget, then sit back and he'll give you options you're not going to find on your own. You don't have to live in Memphis to take advantage of the services. 901-494-3387 or Edwards at regencytravel.net
2: Yeah, with John, uh, he booked our trip to uh, the Hard Rock Cafe in Punta Cana that we came back from. I don't know. It's probably been three weeks. I've probably talked about it on the show, but uh, we changed our uh, desires for transportation uh, not too long before we went on that trip. We were going to take the uh, provided transportation from the uh, casino, and then we changed our mind on one in private. And John was able to just get on the horn and get that set up like in like two hours. And it turned out to be a great um, through the Delta Vacations, folks. So uh, John is the kind of guy, he's light on his feet. So you'll set stuff up with him, but then if you need to make a change, he can do it very, very quickly. He knows what he's doing, so... Was very much appreciated when he jumped in like that. It was obviously, guy's a pro. Appreciate yeah. you, John. Very good. Uh, let's see. We're going into the uh, the creamy center here. Oh, I guess the creamy end. I don't. <laughs> just depending some things that are not in the sports world. Uh, I got a question. I got a call from one of my subscribers yesterday. I wanted to know about a bourbon visit. His dad is a very technical dude, and he wanted to know. He wanted to go to a, a bourbon uh, distillery where they could really teach you something about how bourbon is made instead of just mm-hmm. kind of being for fun. And so I thought about it, and for those of you who are bourbon heads, maybe you would agree with me or disagree with me. But I told him either Old Forester, which is in downtown Louisville. Now they have their own cooperage there too, so you can watch them make the barrels. In addition to all the other stuff, or Willet. I think Willet is also a great tour uh, there in Bardstown. They actually take you up there and show you the actual still, and they show you where they actually show you distilling stuff, and and uh, you can put your hand in the sour mash before it, it runs through and. They show you how they roll the bottle or the the uh, the barrels out and all that kind of stuff. It's a very hands-on type thing. So for me, it'd be Old Forester or Willet. And if you get if you can get into Peerless on the other side of Louisville, that's also a good one too. But sometimes there's only one dude I think that does tours there. It's kind of a small operation, so sometimes it can be crowded. Like, well, oh, we can't get you in for three months or whatever. But if you can get into Peerless, you can also learn a lot there too. So there's one about that. You've never been on a bourbon visit, have you, Neil?
1: Uh, i've been to jack daniels that's the extent of it
2: that doesn't count that's tennessee swill right uh also uh, on the flight out to punakana this last time i watched uh, dave letterman does a great uh netflix show where he it's called uh, uh i forgot the my name. last
1: interview or my my next interview or my something next like- guest okay
2: or something like that right yeah. and i'm not necessarily the biggest dave letterman fan and he, he still annoys me with his interviewing technique but anyway i watched the one with billy eilish and her brother phineas Like, these are people who are kind of new to me. Like, I know she's a, like, music star, but I don't know anything about her. She's a fantastic chick, man. She's really cool to listen to. And her brother, Phineas, is a really, really nice person. Like, they have been raised right. And I was really fired up, man. I mean, I don't really listen to Billie Eilish's music, but I'm going to probably make some effort to listen to a little bit of her stuff and Phineas, too. They seem like really good kids, man. I was pretty fired up to run across uh, those two. Uh, Bill Russell passed away. This weekend yeah. at 88 years old, I got a frantic call from my dad about it. <laughs> and my dad calls me like once every two months. He wanted me to know that Bill Russell was an absolute bad man. And uh, he was the only the only person that could stand up to Wilt Chamberlain, in my dad's estimation, uh, back in the, uh, the heyday of Wilt Chamberlain and, and Bill Russell. So I didn't really think of it that way. I always thought of Bill Russell as kind of being this guy that was with the Celtics and won lots and lots of titles. And my dad went on and on about how much of a gentleman this guy was. My dad uh, went to college with Wes Unseld. Wes Unseld was his uh, roommate. Is that right? And so, like, I guess maybe he heard a lot of stories and met some people through that. I think my dad was more like his uh, tutor. <laughs> my dad was like a nerd. Of course, Wes Unseld is a badass basketball player, but. Man, he was. Anyway, my dad's got a lot of respect for those old-school NBA, NBA guys, so he was really fired up about that. I know there's a lot of people out there who uh, were fired up about it too that, that love Bill Russell. He seemed like a very easy guy to like. Um, I think
1: it's NBA Network is showing, maybe it's ESPN, I'm not sure, but someone's showing like, some of Russell's most iconic games later tonight, and I'm kind of looking forward to scanning some of that.
2: I bet he's going to swat a lot of shots, isn't he?
1: And I, I was watching highlights of him against Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, Wilt Chamberlain. Not like Jack Sigma or somebody, Will yeah. mm-hmm. and he's just swatting shots away. And like there was this shot of Jerry West driving into the lane, and I mean Jerry West is the freaking logo for God's sake, and yeah, just drifts over and swats it away. He was just such a graceful player. But then it's he. he also was. Um, I think it's interesting that his he's one of the rare athletes that his accomplishments off the floor almost sort of were so respected that people almost forgot about what an elite basketball player he was i mean the guy won eight straight titles 11 out of 13 titles it's impressive and yet people really talked more about the man than they did the basketball player which i think is a testament to him
2: i know i wish was was cool as he is but i'm not that's okay it's not a big deal speaking of people who are not cool That would not be Bill Russell because he is cool. Uh, I'm I'm still trying to figure out what Putin is trying to do here. Like uh, (laughs) the Russian oligarch. Yes. Despot. I'm aware Putin is. Who uh, he's attacked Ukraine. I mean, this is nothing new, but like, so now he's doing something that makes absolutely no sense to me. He's weaning down the pipeline of the gas that he sends into the European Union. He's like basically turning off that pipeline. So, what they're going to do is they're all going to, like, adapt really fast to however. I mean, either they're going to get more gas from other places or they're going to find ways to not rely so much on gas. And when they make that adjustment, it's going to be permanent. So, he's essentially killing out his own market. I mean, because Russia doesn't have that much to offer the world. Gas is one of those things. And now he's going to basically force Europe to not ever use him ever again. So, he's pissing everybody off with Ukraine. He's, he's shutting down his best asset by doing this little game with Europe. Like, what are you doing? Like, it seems like every he's step not, he takes but, is the but, wrong one. I mean, he's clearly not not well. Do you, you think mentally he's not there? Yeah. And, and then, and he, see, I don't think that's true. We don't have any intelligence suggesting that. I wonder if
1: physically he's sick, and he knows the end is near, and this is just his
2: uh,
1: – He even, I mean, look, even among – militators and as you said despots he's not behaving per the playbook i mean this feels like a final he's a loose cannon
2: he's definitely a loose cannon i don't think but here's the thing he came up in the kgb he was like he was taught to be very cerebral about things and i always felt that he was i knew he's a dick but i mean I i always thought he was a smart dude and it's just like he's collecting L's like Brian Harson in November last year at this point. Like it's just L, 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 L. And I don't understand it, man. I, somebody's got to step in here like on the Russian side and be like, dude, you can't tank our entire country forever. Like
1: I keep waiting for there to be an internal coup. that has not, to be. I mean, it seems like that's – but maybe it shows you how difficult it is to pull that off, that he's insulated himself as well as he apparently has.
2: I have a couple friends that work in Washington and – one of them is kind of involved in some of this, and I keep asking him, like, what's going on? And he's like, I think he's just getting really bad advice, and he's following it, and he just keeps tripping over himself because the advice sucks. And I, I mean, that, dude, he's running Russia. Like, it's, bad. it's one thing if JG gets some bad advice and I drink some bad bourbon and I get too drunk and I piss myself or whatever. I'm not saying that's ever happened. But he's running Russia. Like, the it- whole world balance is the whole financial, certainly in the European Union, is, is based on these decisions he's making, and he's just screwing around? Like, Isn't he
1: surrounded by people who are basically terrified of him, and they tell him what they think he wants to hear because they're scared of him?
2: Is that really what's going on? I mean, I, I don't
1: know. I mean, is I, he I, that scary? I, I mean, I've always, everything I've read is that internally, among the people that are in his circle, he's terrifying.
2: All right. Well, I don't hang out with him or anything, but this, this needs to stop, and I'm with you, man. This needs to be a coup. I mean, you don't have to kill him, but just put him somewhere else. Send him like, I don't know, Madagascar. Like, give him a whole county in Madagascar or something. I'm, he can just chill. I'm honestly, I'm surprised that he's
1: still alive. I'm, 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 I'm shocked there hasn't been some sort of a coup against him. But uh, man, how long did Castro held on for a long time, right? I mean, and you know, there was always people thought there would be a coup to knock him off. And-
2: yeah, but was he? He wasn't tanking the way this guy is, though. Uh, he was just kind of chilling in Cuba and like basically gave the United States a permanent middle finger. But like, he wasn't yeah, actively screwing. He didn't have a lot of influence either. Yeah. No, I mean. Um, last thing I want to bring up, and I don't think you have an opinion on this, except for the one time Ted Miller said he ever cheer against women. you remember that? No. Yeah, you do. We were in Indianapolis right in front of Christine Brennan. He said, do you guys ever just cheer against the women on the show? Come on, you remember that. I said that? No, Ted Miller did. Ted did. Oh. I don't remember. That. He got a very dirty look from Christine Brennan on that one. <laughs> anyway, uh, in the light of Alex Trebek passing away, you know they were kind of going through the uh, the various uh, hosts, uh, Aaron Rodgers being one of them. Yeah. And at this point, they've kind of settled on two with uh, Mayim Bialik and then uh, Ken Jennings, who's the guy who won all the. He's like the yeah. Jeopardy star, you know. Yeah.
1: Sure.
2: And everybody who watches the show, which I don't watch it every single day, but I watch it fairly often, Ken Jennings is the better choice, right? I mean, Ken's like he is Jeopardy. He has personality. He has everybody likes him. And not to say that we hate Blossom. I'm just saying like he's the better choice. Sure. And they just announced like last week they're going to continue on with the two hosts. And everybody's shaking their head going, What the hell, man? And it's like they're trying to find a way to just kind of glam up, not necessarily I don't mean glam, that's not the right way. They're trying to they think that uh my Bialik, because she's kind of a, a star of TV, can bring in a bigger audience to Jeopardy. It's a show for nerds, man.
1: It, like, it's absolutely a show for nerds. It's a show that it's it's a show for smart people to watch and realize that they're not as smart as they thought, and 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 they have fun with it. I mean, you play along with Jeopardy. Yeah, I you agree. Jeopardy's not a casual watching show. It's an intentionally <laughs> you watch Jeopardy intentionally, absolutely, and, and you laugh at it. Like you know, when the guy goes, oh, you know, I'll, I'll take um, history for eight hundred. And it's some question, you're like, I have no freaking idea. Never heard I mean, of that
2: person in my life.
1: <laughs> it's fun, right? That's, you, it, it, that's the fun part. Or, or when you, you know, it's like, I'll take, uh, you know, Modern Art for a thousand, and they do it, and you know the answer. It's like, yes! You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a totally different show than, like, me just sitting there, four glasses of wine and watching Iron Chef America, where, you know, I'm just, <laughs> just watching. I'm just watching. I'm just cash at this point. I'm just, it's all good. I'm just chilling. That's an intentional show. That's, that, yeah. So you need a nerd like Jennings doing it because he's up there with, like, well, one of the things that made Trebek so endearing was that he could sort of subtly insult one of the, Absolutely. One of the contestants without yeah. it being an in-your-face slap. It was just more of a little subtle. And, you know, you at home be like, oh, Alex just took a shot. You know, it's kind of fun. And, and a guy like Jennings, you know, when he's standing up there, Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, he would win the game. Every, you know, he would just dominate. So he gets to be the main nerd among all the other nerds, and it's fun. And it's, just, it's what it's supposed to be. I don't, I don't know why they're overthinking this.
2: Yeah, I mean, Blossom's a nerd too. I mean, she's definitely got the credentials, but it's like they're trying to squeeze every last like rating point they can. And I'm like, look, guys, you found a winner with Jeopardy. Just roll with it, man. Yeah, you're overthinking it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's just my rant on uh, Jeopardy. I think if we all agree that Ken Jennings is better, And it's not because he's a man. Even though Ted Ted Miller would probably suggest that he likes it better with a man anyway. You don't remember this at all, seriously? You don't remember the guy when we were stealing the beers and we got confronted because he said the Auburn Beat was stealing beers? You don't remember this? No. Oh, God. So, Indianapolis in 99 or whatever. Auburn Beat has a tendency to just get in trouble. I've noticed that some of these younger guys get in trouble, too. I watched a, a reporter, one of the younger reporters on the Auburn Beat get yelled at by BP the other day. He was really mad about something. And like I blue- do
1: remember the trip to Indianapolis in 99, and we got in trouble in the hospitality room. And, I, mean, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, that's
2: where it all went down, yeah. I
1: just don't really remember what it was all about.
2: I remember you uh, – well, I remember, yeah. Anyway, you got into a fight with another reporter during the uh, Minneapolis trip, as I recall. Well, you remember that one? A physical fight? Well, he was he, he was about ready to make it physical. Yeah, I've seen you getting a few of those. Remember that that TV reporter at Penn State was wanted to fight you. I remember uh, the one in Starkville. The dude in Starkville picked up his tripod to try to knock you out, like Albert Pujols. I didn't think you deserved that one at all. Um, I know I, I didn't. You just told him to get out of your space. That's all. That's all I did. Oh, you did it again in Florida, too. But, I, again, yeah, I was on your side on that one. One of those, you know, those TV guys like to try to get their lens up on your, like, neck. Yeah. And, and you were like,
1: work. back up, bro. <laughs> like, hey, dude, you're violating my space. <laughs>
2: Seriously, he was, like, trying to. Yeah, anyway, I'm not going to go too deep into that. Yeah, I do remember you getting into it a little bit with one of the beat reporters in Minneapolis. I
1: don't yeah. know.
2: I don't know if I was on your side in that one or not. I don't know. It's been a few years. I listened yeah. to Third Eye Blind that night, and they were horrible, and it just really tainted my whole day. I mean, I have a, I have a,
1: I have a aggressive side to me. Although, it's, <laughs> we've tampered it down over the years. The, All right, that does it for episode 185 of the Greatest Plot in the South. Again, thanks to everybody for making us a part of, uh, of your listening habits. We certainly appreciate it. We'll be back with uh, episode 186 football season here. So we're trying to figure out best time for us to get like a consistent time that works for the Ole Miss beat and the Auburn beat, but we're going to get it done and we'll be back with you. So for JG Tate, I'm Neil McCready. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us. Talk to you soon.